Before we begin, I would like to invite our listeners to participate in an upcoming workshop designed to help you understand yourself by making a deep connection to your past and future lives. The workshop is called Your Past is Present, Dowsing Your Connection to Other Lifetimes. The workshop will be conducted over two days on October 1st and 2nd over Zoom, and each student will receive newly designed dowsing charts and protocols that will allow you to make an emotional and experiential connection to your other lifetimes. For more information, please visit vitalbioenergetics.com and click on the workshops tab. And now for today's podcast. Welcome to High Vibes with your host, Bill G. At High Vibes, we're looking into what it means to be a fourth-dimensional being in an ever-changing world. We hope that by listening to our podcast, you can feel a greater sense of peace and connection as we collectively raise our energetic vibration to the next level. And now, for today's podcast. Hello and welcome to High Vibes. I'm your host, Bill G. And today's special guest is best-selling author Lisa Shermerhorn. And her latest book is called In Every Belief is a Lie. And I thought she would be a great guest to put on this show because she has in her book, she's talking about those constructs, those things that we hold on to, that those beliefs that we hold on to that get in the way of our consciousness expansion. And she did such a wonderful job doing this in her book. I felt it was really a good idea to bring her on. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. So to uh, to just to get to dive right into this book, I mean, uh, first of all, I I love the book. The book is available on Amazon as, as an ebook for nine only ninety nine cents to really you know get that uh, that that buzz going, and uh, the paperback is also available. And so um, and you're going to be selling your books at various events coming up and you've got one coming up this weekend with the hypnosis uh conference and uh, i assume you're going to be touring around with this book too right i am i was just actually in las vegas that was planned a couple of weeks ago and of course the book wasn't ready yet oh no <laughs> so that's always fun i i'm going to be in miami in november with it and i'm still working on some other things to uh help promote the book but yeah it's it's I thought the hard part was writing the book. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the easy part. <laughs> I found that out very easily. <laughs> so in every belief is a lie. And I, when I'm just going to dive right into the first chapter because there's a quote there that I really, really liked. I came to realize that it was always fear of the fear I found paralyzing not actually facing my fear. So this book is, seems to be a lot about facing one's fears, but also facing those constructs that get in the way of our consciousness expansion. So can you elaborate a little bit more about um, fear of fear? Well, in the first chapter, I tell my story about how I ended up doing a 40 foot firewalk. <laughs> that was fun. That was a fun story. <laughs> Yeah. So I I had been in a marriage uh, for 29 years. 
And the last 10 years, I found that my ex-husband and I were really going in separate ways and we were both unhappy and we stayed together really for the kids. But as they went off to college, we found ourselves staring at each other and not knowing quite what to talk about. The problem was, is that I was afraid I had this belief that I would never be alone. I had this terrible fear that I could never be alone, that I would always have to be taken care of. And I resigned myself to the fact that I would be married and unhappy for the rest of my life. I had been studying with this one woman and she said, I'm running a firewalk facilitation week-long program. It's training you how to do firewalks. Would you be interested? I had two of my fears in my life were walking on fire and fear of being alone. So I figured I'd hit the fear of walking on fire first. And the week entailed walking on uh, on fire seven to 10 feet a night, breaking arrows from my throat, bending a 10 foot piece of rebar from my throat, walking four feet of broken glass. And to graduate was walking 40 feet of red hot coals. As soon as I found that out on Sunday night and graduation was the following Saturday, I went into a meltdown because I was convinced that I was either going to die or have my feet amputated or something. I just couldn't see that it was possible. And I went into this just spiral, the, the spiral. I felt so badly for the people who were in the class with me because I went into a really, really deep fear. As the week progressed and I started breaking the uh, arrows from my throat and walking on glass, which was actually amazing because it's the, the most present that you'll ever be in your entire life. You feel everything and you move very slowly and you feel every single cell on the bottom of your feet. And, and it was something that I really actually enjoy. Oh, it's walking on glass. <laughs> The rebar was incredible. Uh, it, it's about trusting the other people and you know the other person because it's two people walking simultaneously and you have to time it perfectly. You have to really bring your energy up to do it. I got to the end, uh, the, the graduation and everyone was going and I started to have a meltdown. And one of the people who I was uh, walking with looked at me and he said, how much fire have you walked this week? And I said, well, about seven to 10 feet a night. He said, how much fire is that? And I said, well, probably over 50 feet. He said, exactly. You've already walked over 40 feet. Just go. Once I got over that terror, I walked. It was just like nothing. I didn't burn my feet. I walked across and we rang a bell when we were finished and I turned around and I was just in awe of the whole thing. After that, I went home and had a talk with my ex-husband about kind of looking at our marriage and seeing we were at where we were at. And three months later, we separated. Mm -hmm. I had to do all of that for me because I needed to face my fears because the fear of those fears was greater than actually doing it. Once I did it, once I came to Vermont and moved on to my own, and it was so much peace. I miss my children. I miss my family. Nothing could ever replace that. 
but I needed to find me and I needed to go into this place of, of self-discovery and getting to know who I was without relying on anyone else. What a great story. So let's go a little further into the book here. One of the things that I've talked about on the show a couple of times is uh, what I call tribal programming or our things that we are taught by our families, things, values that we hold on to that turn out in the long run to be illusions, just things that we hold on to just because we're holding on to. One of the things we talk about a lot too is graduating from what we call third density into fourth density. When we're in third density, we're really stuck in the in the weeds about living our lives and and conforming to those ideas but when we move on to fourth density we're like oh wow that's just all that's all just illusion we can move on further than that and in the process we discover our superpowers we discover that we we that we are these great big balls of energy that can accomplish anything like walking across 40 feet of fire oh my god that's that's like it defies reality that the way we understand it because you think yeah i'm going to walk across 40 feet feet of fire i'm going to either die or lose my feet right. but it didn't happen you didn't burn your feet yeah from what I understand, you didn't even get any blisters from all of this. It was just, no. it was just, you were activating that superpower by just saying to the universe, no, I'm not accepting that this is my, where I am. So can we talk a little bit about, you know, the, in the, um, in the book, how you uh, came to then bring in all of these different aspects of your life and just say, no. It's interesting that you talked about that because I had someone contact me and say, I just read the first chapter of the book and there's a bunch of things that's missing you that you didn't address. And so I responded, "What what's missing? And he replied, all the pain that you suffered through all of those things that you went through and what it felt like to burn your feet and what it felt like. And I responded to him, you missed the point of the first chapter. I didn't. I had no pain. Every single thing was mind over matter. And he was projecting his own beliefs on that. And it was making him angry. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about your own beliefs, from the time we're born until about 21, 20, we're in all these different brain frequencies. We start out with the uh, brain frequency of Delta, which is this really deep, long wave. And that is such deep, deep information that we're taking in. If you think about what a newborn has to learn, it's extraordinary. And then we go into theta as we get older. All of this information gets programmed, language, light, sound, emotion, even in the womb. The fetus can feel the mother's emotions and whether this child is, is wanted or not, is loved or not. And we also come in inheriting beliefs from our ancestors. It gets passed on through our DNA. We have belief systems that we carry unconsciously. A big one is money mindset. If you're raised in a household that has scarcity issues, where there was a lot of money issues, that gets programmed. 
I do I do a talk where I show this picture of a mansion and I ask everyone in the room, tell me about the people who live here. And everyone's like, oh, they hate each other. They're getting a divorce. Their kids hate them. They can't afford to heat the house. And then I ask everyone who here wants to make a million dollars a year and everyone raises their hand. And then I ask, if you believe that people with money are evil or miserable, how could you ever attract that kind of money to you? That's a perception. That's an unconscious belief system that gets carried forward. And even people with money, I've seen people who are very wealthy go through scarcity mindset because they're in a place of it's never enough. So they're projecting not feeling like they're enough onto bigger house, bigger car, more stuff, bigger vacations, those kinds of things to make them feel better about themselves. These belief systems carry us. My own, my own belief system was about not feeling smart. I had, I had some minor learning disabilities and I went to kindergarten and everyone could read, they could do their letters, they could do their numbers. And I was behind, I was a year behind everyone. And then on top of that, I, I just didn't get it. Every summer I spent in summer school, I just had this belief that I was stupid. And when I finally started, I didn't realize that I was actually smart until I was closer to my 40s when I started getting involved in this kind of work, the healing work, the healing arts. And I realized this is where my this this is where my gifts lie. My my gifts are not memorizing information and and regurgitating it out. That's for other people. And that's okay. We need people who do that. But for me, I want my doctor to be able to do that <laughs> right. or my accountant to be able to do that. But that's not, that wasn't me. You touched a little bit on the uh, childhood programming, but you also talk in the book about ancestral programming, karma, that kind of stuff. And yeah. again, you, you, you know, we, we, we can talk a little bit about the scarcity stuff, but we can also talk about things that are said to us now in the the spiritual response therapy protocol, which is a form of Akashic dowsing that I do, one of the, the protocols that we do is a, like an inner child progression, what they call an inner child progression. And one, what that's all about is we go through all of the belief systems or the all of the imprints that we put on ourselves that are limiting, all those limiting beliefs and where they came from, why they're there. And then we do the work to clear all of that. That's just you know part of what we do, and it it rang a you know it was it was ringing true for me when I was reading about you know all of this stuff in my in the book. Um, an, an interesting story is my son is fourteen years old, and I live with my uh, my eighty one year old mother in law lives with us, and so my son was bringing his tray of food down the stairs, and he fell down the stairs. At the very last few steps, he didn't really hurt himself too badly, but he, he he landed on his back. He was like, oh, it knocked the wind out of him. And, you know, my first impression was, oh, my God, are you OK? And, you know, feeling all right, whatever. And my mother-in-law's like, had a nice trip. And I'm like, oh, geez, because you you mentioned that in the book, too. It was like, yeah, how an, yeah, this and it, and it was a it was a dig. And the thing is, she mentioned it again and again. I'm like, what are you doing to my child here? Sarcasm. Yeah, that's that's sarcasm. So let's let's talk a little bit about that, that how that can 
become a limiting belief? Sarcasm is a hard one. I, I lived around it a lot, especially I lived in the Boston area where there's a tremendous amount of sarcasm. Yeah, it's part and of the culture. What, yeah, it's part of the culture. I mean, and when you ask for directions, they'll intentionally give you the wrong, the, the wrong directions <laughs> before GPSs. I went to college there. I couldn't believe it. There's a lot of, of wit and joking, but the subconscious mind does not know the difference between a joke or the truth, just like it doesn't know the difference between a scary movie and a nightmare and actually having something really terrifying happening to you. It imprints in your mind the same way. And if you think about when a child falls, like your, your son falls, when if you were to close your eyes and to feel what it feels like to have someone come up to you and say, hey, bud, are you okay? I love you. I just want to make sure that there's no injury versus have a nice trip. It doesn't feel good. Your body starts to tighten and it constricts. And it's a way that people use to prevent intimacy. It's a way to protect yourself from intimacy. And I've had a couple people say something about it. And it was interesting because I never read that. I didn't. I, I, I said to a friend of mine, I don't have any statistics to back that up. It was just something that I personally have felt. And if you live with someone who's sarcastic or have family members who are sarcastic, you have to have a thick skin. And those people are are doing, I always say doing this, it's like the policeman, you know, saying stop and go at the same time. Because deep down, they're really searching for intimacy and they want to be loved. But it's a way to protect themselves so they don't get hurt. And the sarcasm is something that I think is really important to look at, especially with a young child. And anything that's said, I, I work with golfers as well. And I had a professional golfer who in his 20s, he was a phenomenal putter. He went to a tournament in Pennsylvania, had a bad day, which we all do. And he didn't putt well. He just had a bad day. And someone walked up, up to him and said, gee, it's too bad that you don't know how to putt because if you did, you'd be a phenomenal golf pro. From that moment on, he took it on that he can't putt. For 20 years, he couldn't putt. And he was a golf pro at a country club, and they joked around about at him and would say, we have a golf pro that, that can't putt. And it was humiliating. I did some work with him in an hour and a half to release that belief system. And he called me. He did nine holes after that. He said, best golf he'd had in years. Once you release, because when you focus on what you don't want instead of what you do want, that's what you get. And that works in golf. It works on everything. The subconscious mind also doesn't know negatives. When you say, I don't want something, the law of attraction will give you exactly what you want. When you say, I don't want to lose a job, guess what happens? You lose a job. <laughs> you lose. That's how the law of attraction works. Your words are magical. Your words mean everything. When you say negative things about someone or something or have negative beliefs about yourself, they're negative prayers. We want to real, and I catch myself, I'm human. I catch myself all the time. Gossip is the worst. You're projecting out negative information to other people. And there's karma related to that. 
Now let's move on to, you mentioned a lot of tools in the latter part of the book, the things that you do when you're working one-on-one with clients. Uh, You mentioned uh, Honoponopono, you mentioned the why test and the emotional release method. So uh, let's talk a little bit about these tools and um, how you incorporate them in your own life and how you're able to uh, help your uh, clients with this. The Ho'oponopono and the, is, is an ancient Hawaiian practice, comes from the Huna and the, the Hawaiian shaman, and it's the practice of forgiveness. It was, so not Dr. Joe Dispenza, I'm trying to think of the fellow who wrote the book, Zero Limits, I can't think of his name right now, mm-hmm. talked about how he saw an article in the paper that there was a prison in Hawaii that had a part of their prison for the criminally insane and they couldn't keep people employed. It was so bad that the attrition was crazy and they legally were bound to have a therapist on staff. And they went to hire Dr. Hugh Lin and he said, I'm happy to work for you, but I don't see clients. I only see their files. And they were like, what? This crazy man, we can't hire him. Six months later, they still didn't have a therapist. So they ended up hiring him out of desperation. And one by one, all the prison inmates started to leave. They either went to a mental health facility or they went back into the prison system. What he was doing was doing this Ho'oponopono prayer. And it it acts as this magical release. What I say, I started a year ago, actually it was a year ago, June, working with a group. And it's how my, I know for a fact, it's how my book got written. I started to forgive myself for all those negative belief systems that I had about myself, about feeling stupid. And and who am I? I wrote them all down. Who am I to feel smart enough to write a book? What do I have to offer that other people haven't put out there? And I had this really long list and I started to forgive myself over and over again. And then I had this list of other people and circumstances that I had in my life. And one by one, people were coming back into my life, people who I had forgiven, got phone calls out of nowhere from people saying, I miss you. It's really an incredibly beautiful process. And I would do that forgiveness. uh, Should I let it go? Yes. Could I let it go? Yes. When now? Over and over again, that mantra, seeing myself holding a book on stage in a green dress. And I did. And six months later, once I cleared everything out and did the work, the title of the book came. And I've been trying to write this book for 20 years. That book came through me. It may be of me, but it was through me. I would start writing and I'm the most ADD person you ever want to meet. Like I can't sit still hours and hours. It poured through me. I would read chapters and I'd go back and reread it going, oh my God, who wrote this? This is really good. <laughs> it just came through me when you eliminate those belief systems that are in your way. I would say it's like imagine a highway that has boulders on it and you're trying to get to the other side and those are your boulders. So the whole ponopono helps you remove those. Uh the the emotional release method is something that I was taught by this uh gentleman. He's a Renaissance man, Dr. Al Tatarunas, and I met him a number of years ago. At the time, he was 88 88 years old, and he had a ponytail and drove a Mercedes convertible. And he he was amazing, and he taught me, and he took me under his wing as his apprentice. 
And I use that in all of my work. It's amazing because you, you hold on to these beliefs at a cellular level. And I use this, uh, should I let it go? Yes. Could I let it go? Yes. When now you focus on the area in your body that you feel it or the thought, you recite that mantra over and over again and you release it. And that was incredibly powerful for me. I would do it all day long. And now it's not that I'll never feel those particular emotions, but they don't trigger me like they used to. The why, this was really interesting. I did a marketing program a year ago, a little over a year ago. And in as part of the marketing uh, program, they offered me to do a why test. And it's about discovering what your why is. I took this test and it came up. There's actually nine whys. This fellow, Gary Sanchez, saw Simon Sinek speak and talk about the importance of knowing your why. And Gary ran up to him and said, oh, my God, you need to help me find my why. And Simon Sinek said to him, I don't help people find their why. I tell them why it's important. Gary was a dentist, unhappy with what he was doing, and he spent 10 years researching why people do the things that they do. He came up with these nine whys, came up with a test, and my test came up challenge. So what that means is I ch I'm an out-of-the-box thinker. I challenge conventional thinking. So when I work with people, I'm always looking for out-of-the-box thinking. I'm always looking for something that's different. And part of the why, the why they call it the YOS, you find out your why, your how, and your what. My how is better way. I help people find a better way. My what is make sense. So I help people make sense out of complicated situations and problems. What's interesting is a friend of mine who's a Harvard educated psychiatrist said to me, you took very complicated information that was in your book that I've studied for years and you broke it down and put it into layman's terms for people to understand. That's my ability to make sense. When I look at my challenge, better way and make sense, not only did it help me with my direction in my branding, in my business, because that's what I do. I spent a year, years trying to describe to people what I did. So it helped me in my branding. But the other part was it helped heal a major wound that I had about not being smart. Because I realized that I wasn't like everyone else. I didn't learn like other people. And once I discovered that I owned that, it helped align everything for me. So I became certified as a Y coach. And I will tell you that when I do this for people and help them discover their why, how, and what, it either confirms what they're doing now, helps them shift, helps them own the better part of who they are. There's another chapter that I really liked, which was uh, chapter 11. It reminded me so much of another book that I had read, um, The Alchemist. Yes, my favorite book. It is your favorite book? <laughs> In The Alchemist, there's, you know, the, the whole thing is when you seek your personal legend, when you are able to let go of all of that crap that was getting in the way of you seeking that personal legend really embracing it the universe conspires to make it happen exactly that's a tough one for a lot of people because even when you've done the shadow work and you've you've brought up all the stuff that 
has been preventing you and you're working on clearing and you're working on bringing it into conscious awareness, it still creeps in, that those doubts still creep in. And that practical side of you or, or what you believe to be your practical side of you says, no, you have to settle for less. You can't go all the way. You can't, you know, like in, in your particular case, married for 29 years, fear of being alone and whatever, 29 years you may as well go make it 50 you know that's not something you do you don't reinvent yourself at that age because you know you're just not just not supposed to do it and in that book you know you meet so many people along his way that did exactly that they settled but he didn't and eventually he got his treasure right most people give up and when i was initially training uh one of my teachers said to me most people will get it. Imagine your goal is like climbing Mount Everest and they get 90% there and then they give up. And how crushing is that? If you could, if you could see your life and, and hover above and see it and know that you were that close. And I, one of the greatest challenges and gifts that I have in my life is my ability to surrender and trust. And I put a, a bunch of stories in there about how I actually do that. And I will get called to go someplace or do something. And I don't know why. I just go inward and feel it because that calling is not from here. It's from here. It's a For me, it's a feeling. I'm very kinesthetic and empathic. When I get called to do something, I do it. And then I find out why. And sometimes it can be days and year months or years later to find out why I have done something. When I first trained to become a hypnotist, the woman who trained me had been a former Episcopal nun and very devoted to the Mother Mary, and she could channel Mother Mary. Now, I grew up a Jewish girl from New Jersey. I didn't know from Mary and Jesus and Mary Magdalene or any of that. So this was all new for me. And she said to me in class, Mother Mary says you're going to Medjugorje. I was like, Medjugorje, what? I had no idea. And she proceeded to tell me it was this place where people went to have these spontaneous healings. And it was a lot of Catholics and, and very deeply religious people. I said, I don't have an association with that. I'm Jewish. She goes, remember, Mary was a Jewish mother. And I just started crying. <laughs> I said, Okay. She said, Mother Mary wanted me to give you a message that five years to that in five years, you're going to be in Medjugorje. And then I just put it aside. Four years later, I was talking to my ex-husband. It was our 20th anniversary was coming up. And I asked him if he would be willing to go to Europe on a special trip because he didn't normally like to travel. He said he would go, but he loves racing motorcycles. And he asked if I would go on the back of a motorcycle. So I decided I would try it. He said, you do your research, I'll do mine, and then we'll come together and figure out where we want to go. He went to a, a motorcycle convention, came back with a brochure. I found out where we're going, and he hands me a brochure, Croatia, Slovenia, and Bosnia. And Magigori is in Bosnia. And we ended up in Magigori five years to the month exactly to when I was told. And there was a whole story of that day of the magic that was happening throughout the day because our guide had a group that was not religious. They did not want to go. And he talked everyone out of it. 
And I said, you don't understand. I have to go. I also had a client who had fourth stage cancer and asked me to go say a prayer for him and bring him back rosaries. I was compelled. I had no choice. I was going whether or not I was going to get a cab that was going to cost me a fortune. It's the surrender and trust and asking. Most people don't understand. We have a crowd around us, right? We have a crowd of of, of angels, ascended masters, whatever you want to call it. And they can't interfere with your free will. You have to ask and then surrender because the way what it's supposed to look like may look very different than what you think it's going to look like. Make sure that you get the feeling, make sure that you get all your belief systems out of the way and then let the divine come in and take over. And that's the hardest, but the most beautiful part when you learn to do that. This has been such a wonderful interview. I um, I am so, so grateful that you've uh, decided to be on the show. So before we go, how can people find you? If they want to be a client of yours or they want to uh, get a copy of the book for themselves. You can, you can find me on peakperformancemindsetcoaching.com as my website or lisa at peakperformancemindsetcoaching.com. And you can also go right onto Amazon. I have, you can get the Kindle edition for 99 cents, or you can get the paperback. The cover is beautiful. A friend of mine, Barry Fisher, who is a local Vermont photographer, did the photography and a lot of, uh, a lot of Photoshop on me, (laughs) (laughs) but it's a, it's a beautiful book. I'm so proud of it. And if you do like it, please write a review because that helps get the book out even further. And uh, you can also reach me at my phone at 781-718-9288. Even if you just want to have a conversation and find out how I could, how I could help you or just any questions. I love talking to people. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. For more information about Bill and Nina G., please go to www.vitalbioenergetics.com. See you next time.